Turn with me, if you would, in your copy of the Scriptures to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 35 this evening, walking through this Christmas story of Joseph and Mary presenting Jesus at the temple where they encounter someone they weren't expecting. It's a tremendous and potent Christmas story. As I mentioned this morning, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Looking forward to, in just four to five weeks, celebrating Christmas with family and friends. I can tell you this, my son Riker, his birthday, his sixth birthday was November 15th. And somewhere at the beginning of October, he started asking the question, Dad, how many days is it until my birthday? I don't know, Riker, about 40, 45. Oh, okay. A couple days later, Dad, how many days is it until my birthday? A couple less than the last time you asked, son. And of course, as soon as November 15th came and went, what did he start asking? Dad, how many days is it until Christmas? And of course, what is this six-year-old boy thinking of? Presents. Gifts. He was looking forward to something. His hope was not getting older, it was getting gifts. But as we get older, the joy of Christmas turns from gifts, I think, really to the relationships and the family that the Lord has blessed us with. Or even some simpler things, the gift of time off. The gift of somebody else cooking a meal for us or whatever it would be for you. Becky and I were talking about this this last week. It is a tremendous gift to still have both sets of our parents be alive and to be grandparents to our children and to be in the same state. But that's also a lot of traveling and a lot of work and a lot of not restful time during the holidays. There's so many things for us to do. And the older I get, do you really know what I look forward to the most? What my Christmas consolation is? You can say it. Say it. What is it? It's eggnog, absolutely right, Pastor Jeremy. No, it's staying at home where I can drink the eggnog. Staying at home, sleeping in, playing games with the kids, reading by our fake fire, just being at home. And really, I think we all long for this. After a long and difficult year, We just want to rest in the place where we find the most comfort and consolation. And maybe that's not home for you, but everybody has a hope somewhere that they long for. None of us are different from anybody else. Each of us have something that we are going to turn to this holiday season and make it our hope. Two millennia ago, we read a story of a man named Simeon. And the Bible says that he was waiting for something. He was waiting for hope. He was waiting for, as our text says, verse 25, for the consolation of Israel. And he had great hope because his hope was founded upon what God had told him would come to pass. Simeon's story is not long and not much is said about him, but what is said is meaningful And I want us to see just three simple observations tonight from this text that will show us that Jesus is our hope for the holidays. Jesus is our Christmas consolation, our hope for the holidays. 
But before we dive into the text, let's read it together. And then we'll unfold the story. I'll be reading from the New American Standard version of the Bible, starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Where Luke, who is writing to Theophilus, records this. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, verse 29, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Father, we ask you this evening to reveal our hearts. Many of us know our theology we could recite the truth of it, but it is so much harder to live it. I'm thankful for the time that I can spend this evening with my brothers and sisters to remind us mostly of what we already know, that our hope is in Jesus. He is our hope, not just for these holidays, not just for this Christmas season, but for every day. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We know that Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem, about five miles south of Jerusalem. And in our story here, we see in verse 21 that Jesus, if we fill in the blanks, is about 40 days old. Just picture that in your mind. Joseph and Mary holding 40-day-old infant Jesus. And the text tells us they are on a mission to do something. They are going on a trip together. And again, paint this picture in your mind. Five miles south. Now, I remember when we first had Mackenzie and she was 40 days old. It was hard to get in the car and go five miles. Anybody remember those days? 
But Joseph and Mary are taking baby Jesus and going presumably on foot or on donkey up to Jerusalem. Why is this so important to take this infant? Well, they are obedient to the law of the Lord. Did you hear that phrase repeated multiple times in our text? According to the law of the Lord. Even at the end of our text, verse 39, it says, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. But picture them packing up and getting ready to go. This reminds us of a very important truth. Paul says in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus later says to his disciples in Matthew 5, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill it. Joseph and Mary were dutifully willing to submit themselves under the law of the Lord, and Jesus humbly submitted to the requirements of the law as a sign that he would take upon himself the obligations of his people to be their redeemer. It's a wonderful truth that is just kind of anecdotally mentioned to us here. But Joseph and Mary and Jesus are are going to, to partake in these ceremonies, These ceremonies for the firstborn child and for the the woman who was delivered were really broken up into three parts. We we have mentioned there Mary's sacrifice for her ritual uncleanness. And the sacrifice was to be a lamb and a pigeon or a turtle dove, or for the poor people, as Luke says, two birds or two turtle doves. But that was for her ritual uncleanness. And then Exodus 13 tells us that every firstborn son is to be rendered holy or separated or consecrated to the Lord. Who, who does that remind you of? First Samuel, where Hannah took Samuel to consecrate him to the Lord. Would have been another part of the ceremony. And then there's a third part of the ceremony, which they did with the firstborn, because not every firstborn son ended up serving in the temple. So they would do what was called a redemption sacrifice, where they paid five shekels to redeem their son from permanent temple service. That's what Joseph and Mary were going to do that day. And I just want you to picture them walking into the temple area, into the common area, or to the court of women. I'm sure everyone ignored them. They're just carrying a couple birds. They're, They're poor. They're insignificant. Just another firstborn son. And then they meet someone they were not expecting to meet. And Simeon was waiting for them, waiting for someone, waiting for something. I wonder what he thought they would look like. I wonder how the Spirit told him it was them. But again, in verse 25, Simeon was waiting for the consolation, the hope of Israel. And upon seeing Jesus, he takes the Christ child into his arms and he sings, what is called the Song of Peace, verses 29 through 32. And this is the first observation I want us to see tonight, very simply from verses 29 through 32, which we have already read. Jesus is the hope for both the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus is the hope both for the Jews and the Gentiles. I love what Simeon says. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you 
have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Verse 34, he says, Behold, this child is appointed. He is waiting for this day. But this truth reveals to us Jesus was not just Simeon's hope. It was the hope for his people, the Jews, and for the Gentiles. And this Jew is declaring hope not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, the pagans. Verse 31 says it's for the peoples. Contrasted later with Israel and people. It's not just for one nation, not just for one class of people. It was for the Jews and the Gentiles. This is something we know. What was Israel's responsibility to the nations? They were called to be a light unto the nations. But Israel themselves needed the light. Israel themselves needed a savior. They were to take the light to the nations. But the problem was they failed at doing that so often, time and time again. So God sent along the glory of Israel, his servant, the Lord's Christ. I've loved, as Pastor Matt has walked us through Isaiah, seeing all of these Christmas prophecies that we see or that we sing in the New Testament or in our churches. But a few months ago, he preached from Isaiah 42, which was one of these suffering servant songs where in verses 6 and 7, he says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you, the servant, as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Later on in another suffering servant passage in Isaiah 49, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Israel failed to see the light. Israel failed to be the light. So God sent Jesus, his servant, Jesus, the Lord's Christ, and he is the light to the whole world, but in particularly the glory of Israel so that salvation is of the Jews and to the rest of the earth. But as we saw in verses 34 and 35, Simeon alludes to not everyone would accept this Messiah. Jesus would be a very polarizing Messiah. People would say, we don't need a spiritual Messiah. We want a political Messiah. And they would reject their Messiah nationally. And Paul explains in Romans 11 that God uses in his sovereignty Israel's rejection of Christ to open the door of salvation to me and to any of you fellow Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled when he goes on to say in Romans 11 when all Israel nationally will be saved in God's sovereign plan. Thus Jesus is the light, the glory of his people Israel and revelation to the Gentiles. I wonder what a Jew would have thought if they had heard Simeon prophesy this in the temple that day. Really, Simeon? To the Gentiles? Christ's coming fulfilled many of God's promises to bring the Savior through the nation of Israel 
to be the light of the world. This is a simple truth, but Simeon tells us Jesus is the hope of both the Jews, Simeon, Joseph, Mary, but the Gentiles. Secondly, Jesus is the hope of Simeon. And I've put a lot of sanctified speculation in my mind of what it was like for Simeon that day. But back in verses 25 through 28, we see that Simeon was waiting for something. We're all waiting for something. <laughs> but Simeon was waiting for the Messiah. Now, the, the text implies that Simeon was old, and I'm guessing most of us assume Simeon was old. But does the text ever say that he was old? Not specifically. But you look at verse 29 and that adverb, now <laughs> your servant can depart in peace. And it seems to, oh, I think it's safe to infer that Simeon has been waiting a while and he is ready to depart in peace. But the Holy Spirit, it tells us, reveals to him a promise that he would not die until he sees the Lord's Christ. I have always assumed that Simeon was a priest. Anybody else assume that with me? Because I think we see him in the temple, but the text doesn't actually say he was a priest. But he goes into the temple. He may have just been a normal man with a normal job. But the text says he was devout. He was righteous. He was pious. He was a godly man with a godly reputation. And he maintained a godly life while he was waiting to see his hope. Think of Simeon waiting for his hope. Now, I understand I will get ridiculed for this, but I myself am starting to feel old. Yeah, I hear the chuckles. I will be 40 next year. When I work out, which is much less often than it used to be, I really feel it the next several days. When I bend over and stand up too quickly, my back doesn't always agree with me. And as I get older, do you know what happens to me? I get grumpy, and I wish that I felt better. I'm, I'm picturing Simeon as an old man who would have known what it was like to ache. And you think about that Simeon was promised, you will not see death until you see the Lord's Christ. Picture Simeon waking up one morning. Oh, man, Lord, is today the day? My knees hurt. My eyes are growing dim. Simeon knew what it was like to have turmoil. Simeon did not live in a politically stable environment. He lived with the zealots. He lived with Roman occupation. He lived with the influence of and the invasion of Grecian culture. He lived under Herod the Great, which would not have been great. We think we live in a difficult time. It was nothing like Simeon's. But what got Simeon out of bed every morning to live this righteous and devout life? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And this is really what I'm getting at. Simeon was anchored to the bedrock of God's promise to him. Luke says that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Lord's Christ, which I believe is taken from Isaiah 40, verse 1, where the prophet says, Comfort, 
O comfort, give consolation to my people. And the Spirit had revealed to Simeon in the temple that day, the baby in Mary's arms was the Lord's Christ, the consolation of Israel, the consolation that he was waiting for. This was Simeon's object of hope in the flesh. This is what Simeon has been waiting for. If you dig down deep enough into the depths of your own heart, I'm guessing that any of your desire for comfort or for hope or for peace, for consolation, is connected to some distress that you are going through or maybe some sinful issue, sinful struggle that is going on in your life. And when we see that distress, when we feel that distress, we have to be honest with ourselves and ask the question, where is my pain pushing me? Where does your pain push you? Where does your pain cause you to go? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it your bed? Does it cause you to isolate yourself from others or push other people away? Because after all, they're the problem, not me. Does it cause you to quit, to change your, your friends, your church, your job, your spouse, or anything else? Because again, you're convinced it's not me, it's them. Does it drive you to despair and depression? Does, does it drive you to food? Does it drive you to entertainment, to pleasure, or fill in the blank? In other words, what is the object of your hope in times of pain and distress? Simeon teaches us a very simple lesson. His hope is placed completely on God. I want you to get this from the text here. I think it's pretty straightforward once you examine it. Simeon's hope was tied, first of all, to God's word. It was revealed to him. And he had the prophets. Is your hope tied to God's word? Honestly, not just for salvation, but for everyday living. Is your hope tied to God's word? Are you growing more and more in the knowledge and the wisdom of God's word? Are you increasing in knowledge and therefore increasing in hope? because God has revealed himself to you. Simeon's hope was tied to what God had revealed in his word through his prophets. Simeon's hope was tied to the word. Simeon's hope was also tied to the Holy Spirit. And this is where it's interesting, because Simeon was an Old Testament saint, or an Old Covenant saint. In this time, the Holy Spirit came upon people for specific tasks, for special tasks, in the Old Testament, you'll, you'll see the Spirit come upon artisans for the building of the tabernacle, for the kings, for the leading of the nation, for, for, for musicians even, for judges, for prophets. But the Spirit could also leave them. God gave Simeon a special grace for the Holy Spirit to give him truth. And he anchored his faith in what the Spirit had revealed to him in God's precious promises. It's still the same for us today. If you are a church-age saint, if you are a believer, the Spirit dwells in you, and the Spirit illuminates the text as we read it. And the Spirit keeps in step with us as we keep in step with Him, and as we live in hopeful dependency on the Spirit of promise. 
Simeon's hope was tied to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Honestly, is your hope today anchored to the Word of God and dependent upon the power of God's Spirit to help you live? Simeon's hope was also tied to his worship of God. What did Simeon do when he saw God keep his word? Look at the text. What did Simeon do? I love how it just simply says, then, verse 28, he took Jesus into his arms and he blessed God. He eulogized God. He spoke well of the God who made the promise and kept his promise. He worshiped God. And his hope was alive because of it. Is your hope anchored, Christian, in the cycle of revelation, illumination, faithfulness of God, keeping his promises, and worship? Does that describe your life? Or are you guided by your feelings? which is very easy to do. I do that as well. Are are you guided by the spirit of this age or philosophy or materialism or humanism while you're waiting for God to fulfill his promise? Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. What does that mean? It means that if you have to wait a long time for something, it can lead you to despair. Are you despairing right now while you wait for God? Or are you anchored to God's word? Are you anchored to the spirit who illumines his word? Is God your hope when earthly hope fails? We all experience the highs and lows of Christmas, the highs and lows of all of our stuff. We've all experienced placing all of our hope and trust in the stuff that we're receiving only to have it let us down. Anybody been there? We all know we're supposed to hope in God while we're waiting and watching for him. But, but, But what does that look like for your life this Christmas? Make a plan. What does that look like for you who may be despairing. Well, can I encourage you, just as Pastor Jeremy encouraged you this morning, don't rush home tonight. Don't rush home to the TV, the game, the movie, the show, the social media, the video games, whatever it might be. Spend some time with other people who believe what you believe and reassure each other with the promises of God and encourage one another to anchor themselves to the revealed word of God and the spirit of promise and rejoice together when God answers prayer and fulfills his promises and keeps his word. Find out their difficulties and help them walk through it. Serve them. Don't just want them to serve you. Be like Simeon together while we wait. Or maybe you need to spend some time deepening your relationship with your hope. How how long has it honestly been since you have spent quality time worshiping in the word by yourself? Has it been so long that you honestly feel like it's pointless? I'm just a hypocrite. I'm just going to go back in once and then I'll go back in another month or two. And what's the point? Can I encourage you 
that Christ loves you and Christ wants you to spend time with him. Pastor Jeremy, I, I finally started reading it. If, if it's been a while since you have read a book, can I encourage you with a book? I'm sorry, I'm fighting this thing here. This is a book by Dale Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. And that title is taken from Jesus' own words, I am gentle and lowly of heart. It's a devotional book, 23 different devotionals, and I really think this book would encourage you. And I don't normally do this in a sermon, but I'm going to read from the book. I'm going I'm to whet your appetite here to read this book. It's going to be a promo for the book, okay? Forgive me if you don't like the book. But I can identify what, with what Pastor Ortland says. I hope you can too. This is a book about the heart of Christ. Who is he? Who is he really? What is most natural to him? What ignites within him most immediately as he moves towards sinners and sufferers? What flows out freely from him, most instinctively from him? Who is he? This book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes, those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator. <laughs> those of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up that bad again? It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us, but suspect we have deeply disappointed him, who have told others of the love of Christ, yet wonder if, as for us, he harbors a mild resentment, who wonder if we have shipwrecked our lives beyond what can be repaired, who are convinced we've permanently diminished our usefulness to the Lord, who have been swept off our feet by perplexing pain and are wondering how we can keep living under such numbing darkness, who look at our lives and know how to interpret the data only by concluding that God is fundamentally parsimonious. You can look that word up later. It is written, in other words, for normal Christians. In short, it is for sinners and sufferers. How does God feel about them? The gospel offers this not only legal exoneration, inviolably precious truth, it also sweeps us into Christ's very heart. You might know that Christ died and rose again on your behalf to rinse you clean of all your sin, but do you know his deepest heart for you? Do you live with an awareness not only of his atoning work for your sinfulness, but also for his longing heart for you amid your sinfulness? It is one thing to know the doctrine of the incarnation and atonement and a hundred other vital doctrines. It is another more searching matter to know Christ's heart for you. This book's been an encouragement to me, and it walks through different passages in the Scripture regarding the character of Christ but just put some time in to pursuing Christ. Let him refresh you. Let him be your hope for every day. Maybe you need to reconnect with your family. I would encourage you this Christmas season, if you're not in the habit of doing family worship or family devotions, and 
I completely get it. The struggle is real, being consistent with it. But Advent is a great time to begin that again. Even if you don't have kids, just with your spouse, get an Advent devotional and work through it as a family. I can recommend a good one to you. Uh, it's called Rejoicing in Christ the Newborn King by Pastor Tygen Juice. It's very simple. 25 different devotionals regarding the incarnation and the, the, the plan for Christ to redeem the world. And then there's a Christmas hymn attached. Pastor Joseph has done a great job making that accessible. Or just do something. Just do something. Jesus was the hope of Simeon. Simeon placed his trust in the promised plan of God even before Jesus was revealed as the Lord's Christ. And he lived a righteous and devout life in hope. Jesus was the hope of Simeon while he was waiting. Is Jesus your hope now while you're waiting? And then the third observation, Jesus is the hope of you and me. Very simply, Jesus is the hope of you and me. Verses 34 and 35, Simeon references to Mary that Jesus may be the hope of all, but there is a choice that has to be made. What will you do with this hope? What will you do with Jesus? Jesus is the revealer that you can't ignore. What will you do with Jesus? Simeon makes it clear in his words to Mary, Jesus' ministry would put people on sides. Who is for Jesus? Who is against Jesus? It would result in the fall and rise of various groups. It would be a sign for some people to follow and a sign for others to oppose. Luke makes it clear, Christ's coming would not bring salvation and peace to everyone. Some would oppose and reject their Savior. Some would make him their enemy and set their utter hostility against him and crucify him. You can't be neutral towards Jesus, is the point. He's the Savior that you can't ignore. How do you respond to Jesus? Joseph and Mary were astonished at the truth that was revealed about him. Simeon worshipped him. We didn't read about Anna, but Anna worshipped him and praised him. Pastor Matt, a couple months ago, led us through another one of the suffering servant passages, Isaiah 53. Not all worship him. Some reject him. Jesus was the suffering servant despised and rejected by men. The truth hurts, doesn't it? I even had a conversation with someone today and they said something to me that I knew was 100% absolutely true, but you know how I responded when they reminded me of what was true? <laughs> not very well. I was not humble because it meant I actually had to change. The truth hurts. Why do we tend to respond with such hostility to people who give us the truth? It's because they hurt our feelings. <laughs> it's because they make us feel bad. It's because the truth makes us look bad. I, I love how Simeon lays it out. Jesus is going to expose and reveal. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And that can make us a little or a lot 
uncomfortable. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus knows everything about us. He knows everything we would ever would do, we would ever think, and he still came. And he still wants to be your hope today. No matter what you have done this past year, you can always run to Jesus. How eager are you to see the Messiah face to face. Are you as eager as Simeon is? How comfortable are you at the inevitability of your death? Are you as comfortable as Simeon? Now, Lord, I can depart in peace. Does life hold for you one single dominating purpose? to make Jesus the focal point, the governing principle and priority of your life. If you have not placed your faith in the Lord's Christ, I urge you to trust the testimony of Simeon. He is a light and salvation for you. And if you have, Christian, but you are weary, and you're honestly wondering how I'm going to live this next month with hope, can you remember that Jesus is still with you? He still loves you? He's not just your salvation, but he's your strength and your hope for today. And every promise that God has made in him is yes through him. Lord, we worship you. We trust you. We depend on you. We rejoice in Christ who has come to save us. We rejoice in those who have placed their faith and trust in his dying work on the cross and his resurrection and his future coming. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters these holidays that we would make Jesus our greatest longing and treasure and hope that he would be our consolation. Father, we praise you for fulfilling your promise that you revealed to Simeon. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are anchoring their hopes safely in you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling to do that because life hurts and life is hard. But may we remember that you walk with us even as we think of in Romans 8, the Spirit prays for us when we don't have words. The Spirit comes down and, and picks up the other end of the burden that we cannot carry on our own, and He walks with us. And we are secure in You, Father. Father, I pray for those who don't have comfort or deliverance because they haven't placed their faith in Christ and these these holiday events are just motions and hoops that they're jumping through, but they have hearts that need a balm, hearts that need to be quiet and restful, but they're restless because they don't have hope for their soul. Lord, I pray that you would graciously reveal to each of our hearts this Christmas where we are.
and that we would draw ourselves close to you and that you would change us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray.